When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Situation Room. I'm joined here with my co-host, Gabe Ferguson. I'm Jordan Coe. And uh, you guys can find us on Twitter if it still exists here in uh, in, a, in a few weeks. Uh, but uh, he's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at Raven Sit Room. And uh, here we are, Gabe, back from another week of potentially... Uh, the most boring team in football continuing to be one of the most boring teams in football to watch, but a win is a win. Yeah. Four yeah. wins in a row. So we are streaking officially. I think we could say that. Could say that. Um, it, it was it not, not a fun game to watch. This was an ugly football game, but a win matters. It's, it wasn't the greatest conditions, you know, I feel like they left a lot of points on the board. I'm trying to take an optimistic point of view here. Um, Defense is playing great. This is reminiscent of like the 2000s Ravens, right? Like the 2000 to 2007, 2008, when you know you had to have a defense that was going to win you the games and have an offense that was at least like capable. And I think it's kind of looking like that. And if they can get it together on offense, they can be a really good team. As it is now, they're going to be able to beat bad teams, and hopefully, um, that's going to get them to a place where they can have always have a chance in the season. It, you know, just even kind of you saying this, thinking about it a little bit is, you know, this is a team that interestingly seems to be really hampered by like bad conditions. Um, And, and the Titans game that they lost a couple years back, obviously was a cold game. The Bills game that they lost in the playoffs had all that wind. Um, I don't know if it's the play calling. I don't know if it's the Mar. I don't know if it's that they're not ready for it. But, geez, they, they, I, I mean, when you think about it, it's these really bad condition games. The Ravens have just really looked ugly on offense. And it felt like the Ravens were moving in the right direction or at least getting some cohesion on offense. And then you just see it all unwind like this. And so maybe we just have to hope for a temperate January (laughs) (laughs) or to be on the road in places that are going to be in some kind of dome, because if this is the performance we're going to get in bad weather games on the the Ravens on offense, which for a run first team is bizarre. Uh, You know, it's, it's hard to assume that they're going to go anywhere in the playoffs. Well, I hate to break it to you, but all the good teams in the AFC outside of, perhaps Miami are going to be like bad condition games, like Kansas city. That's like a classic cold, like windy, like snowy 
place to play in the playoffs. Obviously, Buffalo, they probably won't have six feet of snow every time, every week, but, you know, that's a traditionally terrible place to play in the postseason. Even if it's someplace like New England, you know, I mean, I, I doubt we're going to be going to New England, but um, that's also not a great condition. Even, like, you know, Cincinnati, like, it, it's it, it's probably going to be a bad, ugly outdoor game. Um, and, you know, you would like you said, you would think that a team that runs the ball well would be – better in those kind of environments but for whatever reason they they seem to struggle to run the ball maybe because teams know that the run is coming and they don't believe that the ravens are actually going to pass the ball on them and then they kind of like are able to focus on taking away the run and and if the ravens don't have a good plan in place and and they take away those simple plays that really the ravens run on offense then that's pretty much all they got and then where do you go from there where's your pivot to trying to open things up i don't i don't know if they have that in their playbook right now because um i mean we see it maybe like one or two plays a game that's like okay this is a nice play and then they go back to this like this kind of medieval offense as greg urban likes to put it <laughs> i it's the fact that he calls it that in its own right is is frustrating to begin with, but let's talk about let's talk about what went well in this game, and let's talk about what what looks like the reason why the Ravens should really be able to put a string of good games together as they as they run out the schedule. And if you look at the, you know, we've talked about this a few times before this. If you look at the Ravens' schedule down the stretch, it's not a tough one. They've got what Jacksonville and Denver, the Falcons, the Steelers twice coming up. So you know, you mix in a Browns and and uh, like a, a Deshaun Watson Browns game and a Bengals game, but. This defense looks like it's one that, that should be able to swallow some of these teams alive. And some of the performance that we saw on the field in this game was really emblematic of that. And I think it starts with the pass rush. And, you know, we've seen so many good teams or teams that win the Super Bowl or teams that have gone deep in the playoffs been able to do so by being able to rush the passer with four guys um, and be able to create pressure or having those top tier level corners and, when you look at what the Ravens are doing from a pass rush perspective, they look really good again in this game. Yeah, I mean, we, like you said, we talked about this kind of all season, waiting for the the arrival of the the you know the troops, so to speak. Um, getting uh, Bowser back, I think, has been really really important. Um, you know, getting Ajabo back. Hopefully, you know, maybe next week. You know, we heard John Harbaugh make some comments about you know trying to like give the rookie. With him and Kolar, a ramp up time. Um, I think that JPP had another good game this week, so he was a nice addition. That's been been something that's been useful for this team. Um, you know, just having that kind of rotation up front. Um, we, we've seen you know Calais Campbell obviously um, kind of continue to play at the level that Calais Campbell has done. So you have that kind of interior presence, Matabike. Um, so you, you have just a really good front um, guys. You can, we can get some interior pressure and get some pressure off the edge. Um, blitzes have been working. Patrick Queen came in, had another sack or half sack in this game. So they're really getting contributions from all over. And I think um, it's going to be difficult for teams to really, you know, put up a lot of points against this defense, which which kind of makes it frustrating that the offense is so pedestrian because if, they, if the offense had been playing at the level where we've seen this offense play over the past few seasons, then we would probably be talking about the Ravens as, you know, one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl. I think looking at their schedule, looking at their record, looking at their overall performance, you'd still have them up there. But when you take a look at their offense, you know, it's just, it's just not as good as what they've been able to do on the defensive side of the football. I was looking at their their 
defensive performances, they've really only had one bad game against Miami. And maybe you could say that, you know, the Buffalo game wasn't great. They have a bunch of points in the second half. New England was able to score some points. But beyond that, they're keeping teams under, like, 23, I think, was the was most games. That, like, all but those two games, every team has been under 23 points. So, like, they're not letting up a ton of points. And if you can keep every single team you play like 23, 24 points, you should be able to compete with that, even against the best teams in the NFL. Like, I think that's going to be what this team has to do, keep the opposing offense from scoring a ton of points, and hopefully you can make the plays when it matters on offense and, and you know, get those get those wins. So I, I think that's the key here, but, you know, if the offense can come around, then it's, it's going to be a, a much more consistent and much more interesting team to watch. Yeah, well, you know, sticking with the defense before we get into the offense, I thought Tyus Bowser played a really nice game in this game, and he's been a really nice piece for um, what the Ravens have been able to do on on defense. You know, he's a guy that the Ravens were able to put on the outside. Teams don't know if he's going to be the rusher. He's looked really strong in terms of his pass defense. He had a, a big play on, I think, you know, a tight end running kind of an out route um, in this game in particular. He had a great tackle when he was setting the edge as well. Um, his versatility and what he brings to this team in that regard, I think, has been really welcome um, in his return. He's still rushing the passer really well. Um, and that all-around kind of nature of that has been has served this kind of pass rush unit really well. And these guys are staying fresh. I mean, at this point, you know, if Ajabo is able to come back, you know, and and play, they're, they're going to be limited in the number of snaps that they're going to be able to let all these guys play. And I think that's an okay thing. You know, when when you have a situation where I think I, I sent a message to you during the game where they had OA, Calais Campbell, Justin Houston, and Tyus Bowser as the four guys that were coming to rush the passer. Um, and in some of those situations, they're letting Bowser drop and, and bringing, you know, a guy like Kyle Hamilton or Marlon Humphrey, um, letting Roquan Smith and or, and or Patrick Queen come in there. The versatility of what, what Bowser has added back in being kind of that Sam outside guy has, I think, really been a huge difference maker for this defense. Absolutely. I mean, Bowser has been a huge impact player, even though he's only been out there for two weeks. And it, it really just stems from like what you said, that versatility, um, the ability to drop off and be more than just a guy who can occupy some space in the zone. Like he can actually go and like cover somebody man to man, whether that's a tight end or running back, like he has those skills. And, and that's something that is pretty rare in the NFL. You know, somebody who has the ability to not only rush, but also to drop and, and be that effective in coverage. So that really gives the defense flexibility, and, and, and it makes it harder for, for a quarterback, for an offense, to know where the pass rush is coming from. Because, like you said, you can blitz linebackers, you can blitz defensive backs, and you don't necessarily lose anything on the back end because of, of how good Bowser is in that role. So I think, you know, ideally, like you said, you have, you have Owe on the field, you have Houston on the field. They can be your edges, um, or you can have Bowser on the edge as well and have him drop or rush. Um, and you can also have, you know, Houston, I think we've seen him rush a little bit over, over like a guard, lineup over guard as well, and he's been pretty good in that role as, as well. And then who knows what, what a job is going to do. Like, he could be that guy that we watched in Michigan's defense that was like a terror off the edge. And if he can translate that directly as soon as he gets on the field in the NFL – then this Ravens defensive front is 
not only one of the best, maybe the best, like in terms of just their overall depth and their pass rush of, of any team in the NFL. And that's something that we haven't really had the pleasure to talk about um, for this team in a, a long time. They've had like one or two guys who have, have been good and they've, and they've rotated guys like they're doing as well this year. But um, I just think they have more talent up there now than they have previously. And that's probably going to be the strength of this team moving forward. Yeah, it, it certainly seems like it would be, and it's easy to look at those guys and say, hey, you, you know, from a pass rush perspective, you've got a really good handful of guys. You're going to be able to keep them fresh and rotate them. At the same time, the Ravens have two corners that are playing really well. Um, you know, Marcus Peters gave up that one play to uh, Terrence. To, was it to Marshall? Um, or it might have been more. Anyway, he gave up the one play that was a perfect throw from Baker Mayfield. But beyond that, Peters had a really good game, obviously forcing that fumble. Uh, Marlon Humphrey has been playing at an all-pro level, um, inside, outside, kind of doing everything. Three interceptions on the year, so he's forcing the turnovers, rushing the passer. I mean, there really isn't a whole lot that we haven't seen Humphrey been able to do. And you don't have that luxury of having two top tier all you know all pro level corner guys that get to sit behind that kind of pass rush as well. Um, you know you've got Marcus Williams, hopefully who will be coming back in December. I mean, this is a potentially elite secondary unit as well, particularly with the way these guys are playing right now. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to see how they or who they keep on the field um, because in the, the past two weeks they've really leaned heavily on Kyle Hamilton as kind of their fifth defensive back as a nickel defender. Um, he's played in the slot, and I think he's played really well. Um, this game, I think, might have been his best game or one of his best games before he got hurt. You know, he was very uh, physical, I thought, um, on in both run defense and when he came up to make plays in coverage or when, when somebody caught like an underneath pass, for instance, he was right there making a short tackle. Um, he blew up a couple of like wide receiver screens using his, you know, just like he's fighting through blocks, like driving the bl- blocker, you know, five yards up the field as opposed to getting pushed off as what would happen in, by some of the Ravens defensive backs. So like, you know, having that, having that type of physicality and that, that size and that strength in the secondary and like around where the wide receivers are catching some of these short passes has really made a big impact. Um, so that's an interesting choice I think the Ravens are going to have to do depending on how Hamilton's injury looks um, I saw that it's a knee thing so I don't know if it's serious I, I don't think we've gotten any conclusive follow-ups on that yet so hopefully he's not going to be a significant injury but if he is out then I do think that you know makes you kind of consider what you have to do because then you have to go to this kind of like trying to play the hot hand at, at the slot corner position which um, you know we've seen um, Demarion Williams um, at times, um, and he's been up and down. This game, Brandon Stevens was the guy they turned to after um, Hamilton went out, and I, I thought he played decently well. He wasn't exposed, I, I don't think, in coverage. So, you know, he might be that the next man up. Um, but I don't know. Like with Marcus Williams coming back, they might just decide to ha- have Marcus kind of play in that slot role um, because I think you know he's done that in the past. He's done that. In, in New Orleans at times, and he has that, you know, physicality. He has the coverage ability to do that. So that might not be the worst thing, especially with how Geno Stone is playing. I think you don't necessarily want to take him off the field. He's been playing really well for the Ravens on the back end. So I, I do think you have some, you know, potential questions coming up. But in the end, I, I think you have the guys that can you can still make it work with, with what they have. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, obviously the Hamilton was playing really well in this game. The physicality, like you mentioned, was super clear. He's really nailed down that that slot look, and you know, I think some of that ultimately ends up then being a little bit of game plan because once they move Humphrey to the inside, you know, you're shading the protection to help the, your weakest guy. So that's probably going to be Hamilton, you know, and you'd have to look at the all 22, but the help is coming, you know, at the nickel spot, you move your, you know, one of your best, you know, you've got two great corners, but you move your best corner inside. And so if the, the game plan was to leave Humphrey on an island, and that's what's happening to Stevens, you're asking him to do a lot um, in those situations. And so hopefully game plan can adjust for some of that. They can give him a little bit of help there as well. Jacksonville is not a team that, you know, you have to be terribly worried about, but it's, it's clear that in the Patriots did the same thing in their game when the Ravens roll with putting Brandon Stevens or Demarion Williams on the field teams throw at 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 him constantly that they are you know they're like this is our chance to get away from throwing it at Peters and Humphrey and I knew that they were going to throw the ball to at Stevens as soon as he came into the game you know the Ravens have to be smarter in those situations and and shade the protection and give him a little bit of help because they think that that's what's going to happen but um I do think you're right that they're going to be they're going to be in good hands there but you know, just going back to Humphrey and Peters for a second, you know, I, I think we're looking at another, you know, I don't think Peters is probably playing at that all pro level, but I think Marlon Humphrey is going to be an all pro corner this year. He's played at that level. Um, and if you continue to get this play out of these two guys down the stretch, then it, it just becomes really hard to say, okay, well, where are teams? Okay. You've got what you call the, one of the best pass rush rotations in the league. You've got two of the top corner corners in the league. And then you've got in the middle of this defense now, Surprise, surprise, your all-time favorite player, Patrick Queen, playing the best that he's played in his entire career. And and it's it's clear that I mean, I, I when I was thinking about this when I was watching the game, I was like, imagine what Patrick how well Patrick Queen would have played next to Ray Lewis. That once the team once the opposing team has to take their focus off of him and he's kind of the second guy and they're really designing their blocking schemes around the guy that he's playing next to. It opens up everything around him. He's able to play downhill. He's able to match up. He's able to like lean into it as his athleticism. And wow. I mean, this is what you would have wanted when you, when you took Patrick Queen in the first round. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I guess it took, you know, having somebody next to him to really unlock him. Um, and we've seen that in the past, you know, I feel like Josh Bynes kind of helped, take him to another level maybe not to this level but like when Josh Bynes was playing well last year when the Ravens brought him in I thought Patrick Queen was able to play better as well it kind of like loosened up that role for him having somebody who's like a true middle linebacker next to him um, and Roquan Smith has done that same thing but I think to a greater extent and like you said if Ray Lewis was out there it would probably be even better like he'd probably be Bart Scott you know making plays and he's kind of been doing that. Like Patrick Queen has quietly put together a very impressive season. Um, the tackles for losses are there. The sacks are. I mean, I think he's second in the team with four sacks, or he, maybe he's up there with, with Calais Campbell. Like he's been a very effective blitzer. Um, he's been playing like that first round pick. Like you said, that's what we expected when the Ravens drafted him in the first round. Was this kind of impact player? So that I mean, it's great to see. I've I've obviously been critical of, of Queen in the past. I think a lot of people have been, and and I think honestly, it's fair. Like he wasn't playing to that level for a lot of the, the first couple of years he was here, and even sometimes this year, like he had struggles. But like the past, you know, month month and a half, he's been one of the better players in this defense. He's been a true playmaker, um, and that's exactly the kind of thing that the Ravens need. Like I mean, I actually said at the beginning of the season. I thought he was potentially the you know, the X factor for this defense, and if he could 
raise his level of play to that like high end like Pro Bowl caliber middle linebacker, inside linebacker, whatever we want to call it, like then this defense could like be at that level because the linebacker play, frankly, just hasn't been good for the past few years. Um, and I think we're seeing that now, and I think we're seeing that impact on the defense as well. And, and obviously the other parts of the defense have played great. We talked about the pass rush. We talked about the corners. 50 play has been great, but, like, there's really no weakness on this team anymore. There's nowhere you can really say this is where we're going to attack this Ravens defense. Um, and, and, frankly, that's exactly what you want to do as a defense, not have weaknesses. So, so I think they're in a good place from that perspective. And, and frankly, you know, the Ravens rush defense in this game, you know, Roquan Smith did not have kind of one of those stat popping games where he had a ton of tackles. He was second on the team in tackles with seven um, behind Patrick Queen. So it wasn't one of those kind of like eye popping games, but the Ravens held this team to, you know, held Shuba Howard and Dante Foreman to what, 15 carries and a total of 24 yards. I mean, that is, that is that is utter domination uh, coming off of a game where what, you know, Foreman had over 120 yards last week against the Falcons, the, you know, Carolina kind of had found their groove a bit and at least were willing to lean into the run. And the Ravens were able to completely force them out of that um, and do so quite frankly, without really like, it wasn't like they were over, they were coming in with these really heavy looks. It wasn't like they were, you know, I think we've seen some Ravens defenses in the past, especially when Brandon Williams was here and the Ravens would get really bulky at both defensive tackle positions and kind of build out around that. And that's how they were stopping the run. That is not the feeling and the way I felt like this run defense was operating. Um, and that's, that's where the Ravens have a huge potential for opportunity because if you can force the other team to stop the run, you can keep them in second and third and long throughout these games. Then, you know, then you cut your pass rush loose and then you're letting, you know, five guys rotate through the grain through these games. They're not getting tired and they're not wearing down and they're staying healthy because of that. Um, it's just this is a team that could this is the team that like as this year kind of ends really end on on a high note and potentially, you know, I, I guess I haven't looked, but but be one of the top be the leading scoring defense in the league by the end of the year. Yeah, I'm trying to yeah, I'm, trying I'm to... looking at what they're with the average stats are across the NFL. I think they're probably in the top 10 now in terms of um, in terms of the points per game, but I'm, I'm not sure. But they, they've clearly been a, a, a defense that's ascending. Um, you know, they've had some some really impressive performances over the past month. Um, I don't think any team has really exploited them outside of the Miami game. I think that was the only game where you could kind of like point your finger and say, okay, well, you know, this team looks like trash on defense. And I think at one point they were probably, you know, last in the NFL in terms of points and, and yards and whatever, but they, they've really, really come together. Um, and, and I think that's partially, you know, getting healthy, getting healthy, getting players on the field. But I think it's also um, the defensive coordinator too. I think he's starting to get more comfortable in his role and understanding how the players are going to work um, the best in, in their roles, um, finding the right p- positions to put them in, you know, an expanded role for Kyle Hamilton, for instance, you know, getting him on the field more often, um, you know, figuring out how to use these defensive backs to their best ability. And, and I think that is really going to be something that continues to be more and more of a comfort level for McDonald as, you know, he continues to, just really lean onto the talent that's there. And I think that's something to look forward to. And, you know, a lot of the teams that you, like you mentioned in the second half of the season, they aren't great offenses. So I think we can continue to kind of see some of these dominant defensive 
um, performances over the second half, and it's it's going to really put you know some I think some glasses or some microscopes on how well this defense is playing and kind of like the national level. And I think people are really going to take a look at this team and say, okay, this is not like a like a, 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 a joke of a defense that people thought it might be earlier on in the season. This is a team that you need to really consider as as a real player because of how well they're playing on that side of the field. Yeah, it's you know it'll be it'll be good to keep an eye on this and see you know what direction this defense takes. But McDonald really has settled in. The team seems to be kind of having a good sense of what they expect from each other and the guys around them. Their roles, you know, both on the interior um, and the the outside of the defense, really seem to have hit their groove. And so, you know, this is this is going to be the thing that carries this Ravens team through the rest of this year, no matter what. And even if the offense, you know, and let's get to let's get to our cathartic uh, portion of the podcast here. But this is going to be the part of the team that carries the Ravens through the end of this year, no matter what. There, I I could see, you know. I could see the Ravens allowing 10 points or less in one, two, three, four, five of the last seven games. Um, and so it does, it won't even matter what you get from the offense. And so, you know, keep it all in the vault, keep it simple. You know, maybe, maybe that's what they're trying to do and lean on what works. But, um, you know, let's talk about the offense and let's talk about, you know, the absolute utter mess of a game that this was overall and i you know the first thing that that i look at is that you're talking about a team that was under four yards to carry um still ran the ball 30 times in this game and essentially carolina and you mentioned this earlier carolina was just basically like oh well in these running situations the ravens are going to run so we're just going to all out defend the run they're going to bring it down eight nine i think that there were times that there were 10 guys in the box and that they were Everybody knew what their assignments were, and they flowed to the directions that they needed to go to because there were so many of them. And you're just, you know, yeah, they made some adjustments with uh, the, the draw plays later, which took advantage of some of that aggressiveness and kind of cut a little bit out of it. Um, but the Ravens just have to have a better solution for what they're going to do when teams do this, or this is what teams are going to do to them in every single one of these games. Yeah, I, I think there's, I think there's two basic solutions one is just pass the ball when teams are trying to you know force or trying to take away the run like that's the that's the simplest thing you can do like if if the team is going to do man coverage on the outside have like one safety over the top you need to be able to exploit that and i think you know to a certain extent the ravens did that in this game you know to marcus robinson had nine catches for 128 yards like that's not something that we've seen from a ravens wide receiver probably all year right someone who's had that kind of performance so like Yes, the, the the run game was was not very pretty in this one. You know, there were a couple longer runs to kind of save the overall, you know, numbers from being really atrocious. But they did move the ball decently, passing it when they needed to. So I think that is something that is a slight positive we could take away from this. But I think you just have to be that more consistently. And I think you have to be able to not be afraid of going to that. Because I think at times that's been Greg Roman's biggest failures. It's like he doesn't, he waits too long or like he's too stubborn in his play calling. He's like, I'm going to keep running it because I think that I have something here that we can do. And like after so many times, like running into a wall that you're not going to break through it, like eventually you have to like figure that out. And sometimes it just takes him too long to do that. So. Hopefully, you know, this is something that they can look back on and be like, okay, well, th- this is what we can do differently. I mean, you mentioned the draw plays that they started running in the second half. 
I thought those were pretty effective. Um, Justice Hill, you know, he showed that burst that he's he's kind of showed throughout the entire um, first half of the season. Like having him out there is nice, and he's you know he catches a couple passes out of the backfield as well. So. I think he's a nice change of pace. Um, they really miss Gus Edwards. I'll, I will say that in this game, you know, some of those yards where Kenyon Drake kind of gets one yard or negative one yard or, or you know not very much at all. I, th- I feel like those are plays where Gus Edwards normally falls for or three or four yards. Like that's almost every single time. He if if there's someone in the backfield, either he makes a miss or he like runs through them and picks up some positive yardage. I don't think Drake and Hill are capable of doing that. So I do think that just just by getting someone like Edwards back, um, I think that will have a positive impact on the ability of this team to run the ball and stay more on schedule and offense in general. Yeah, I, I mean they definitely they definitely miss Gus Edwards and and you know Kenyon Drake is you know when things get blocked up and the opportunity is there for him, you know Kenyon Drake can be a very successful running back, um, but he's not a guy that's going to make more happen or make something happen kind of outside of whatever that framework looks like. And that's okay. Um, you know, that's not what they're asking him to do, but but the way this offense is designed is is built around and asking for a better running back and better running back performance that's gonna gonna be kind of helpful in in that process. And so, you know, part of the issue was early in the game the Ravens looked pretty solid on offense, but you saw a lot of these drops, right? And so, you know, how much of what ended up happening within this game was you know, the Ravens kind of being afraid of what those drops looked like or whatever that was and saying, hey, because of that, we don't think we're going to be able to be successful when, you know, we're running the ball or doing whatever and or when we're throwing the ball and, and doing that piece. And, and that's where they got away from it and decided that that's just the direction they were going to go on that. Yeah, I, I mean, it gets back to the Greg Roman kind of situation where I think he feels that the passing game kind of unravels easier than, than the running game maybe, and he feels more comfortable like just falling back into the running game when when the when there's some issues that are happening, whether it's drops or or holding penalties or whatever it may be, um, protection issues. Instead of trying to kind of adjust and fix those issues to help improve the passing game, he kind of just like goes back and says, "Okay, we'll just run it." And I think that was what happened. Like if you just go back to the very beginning of the game, they came out, they had this, you know, open up the game, just passing the ball, passing the ball, passing the ball. They had open receivers running wide open, wide open that entire first drive. But, you know, we had a, a drop to uh, Ricard. That was, I thought, a well-designed play. And, like, you know, if, if Morgan, it, was an, it was an RPO, and that's why Morgan Moses had gotten a little downfield because he was blocking somebody and didn't realize that he was, like, past the one- or two-yard limit or whatever it is. Um, and then, obviously, that play was called back because of the penalty. But, you know, Ricard was wide open for that. If that's actually executed properly and Ricard doesn't drop it, we're talking about that as being a genius Greg Roman play, right? Like he probably would have had a touchdown. Um, so like, no, you don't, you don't think, you don't think Ricardo no. would have the end zone. <laughs> Come on, I mean, it was a nice play and it would have been a big game, but like, also call that play with Josh Oliver, right? Like, yeah, like there are better. Like, I agree with you that there's like some genius behind that design, but and this is my biggest problem with the Ravens' offense is that you're still not creating enough opportunities to succeed when plays break down or they're not built for the secondary or third or fourth kind of pieces to be successful. But like when the play call is to get Ricard on a wheel route, because you think that he's going to be open, like he was open, but, but when, but when, when that's the play, like really guys, like, like I would rather be running 
your basic standard offense than trying to create opportunities to get your 350 foot pound fullback open 15 yards down the field <laughs> to throw, to throw on the ball. Like, it, like it just doesn't like you're being too cute at that point when there are a lot of simpler options for what this Ravens team could do to be successful. And they continue not to, they, they just continue not to do it. And like, to me, the biggest problem is that this offense doesn't create enough space, right? Like they, they have guys that are constantly running routes within three or four yards of each other, right? Which does two things, right? One, obviously, is that those guys are just like they have less space to get open and it's a lot easier for them to get help. Two, your hooks, your spies, everything that that is kind of on Lamar, when those plays are happening kind of 10 yards and closer to the line of scrimmage, it maximizes the value of those those players, right? Like a guy that's in a spy that you're putting right in front of two guys that are running, you know, slants or drag routes, you know, right in front of them is going to be in a better position to succeed. And then Lamar has no space when that play breaks down. So you run those as two vertical routes, right, instead of two drag routes, which aren't really going to give you much value anyway. And all of a sudden, you've opened up a lane for Lamar. You force teams to drop their defenders back. You've created a lot more space for whatever receiver you're letting work underneath. Um, and then you don't have a whole bunch of guys that are just kind of like all close to the line of scrimmage. Even the interception on the play that Lamar made um, – which was a bad read, and he shouldn't have made that throw, and he should have seen, he should have seen the defender. And Lamar sometimes is looking past some of those guys who've seen that happen before. Um, but the depth of where Mark Mark Andrews was six yards down the field and stops. I was where how is that valuable to a team that uses the quarterback on scrambles to have a guy stay that close to the line of scrimmage? You're just giving extra defenders opportunities to come up and be able to make be able to stop Lamar when he gets it gets loose and so the spacing has is always been the thing that I find most frustrating about this deep this offense um and they're they're just unwillingness to to put depth into this offense and when they do and you saw it with Demarcus Robinson they find success in this game you know even when we see Andrews running these deep crossers there's success when you see Andrews running on the seams you see success why aren't we consistently seeing ver- vertical threats on every single one of these plays? Because once it stalls out, then you get all these guys in the box and you get exactly what I, I feel like you get exactly the result that you saw this week. That was completely predictable to me. Yeah, I, I, I do think that, I mean, I think the play that you might have been referring to earlier was like, it was the first end of the first drive or first drive of the second half where, you know, they were kind of backed up against their own end zone and there was a third down. It was like, I don't know, third and 10 or something, third and eight. And you have like three Ravens run basically six yard like hook routes like across like the front, and they just had like a zone, zone defender standing next to each one of them. And it's like, this is really <laughs> your play design. Like, I don't, I don't know. Like, you don't, you have to at least run two, three of those guys past the six. Like, it just, it was just, you know, it, it, that's an embarrassing like play call for that situation. So, I. I I think there were other, you know, times during this game where we did see some passing that was effective. Like I mentioned, you know, Robinson, I thought, had some good plays. Andrews had a decent game, I think, you know, coming back off of injury. Um, he made some nice, like, third-down catches. So, like, there was some, like, offensive good play design in the, in the passing game, but, like, it just isn't consistent. And I, and I think just that's just not Greg Roman's strength. I don't think his strength is calling and designing passing plays. Well, um, and the... You know, my other problem is that that so it requires so much like this offense requires so much precision to be successful. Essentially, if if you're going to try and be consistently staying ahead of the chains, converting third downs, doing so at a high rate, using that to like maintain the clock, 
Yeah, that's that's great in theory, right? But part of the reason why you see such explosion and such effectiveness from teams like the Bills and the Chiefs is that they take away some of that variability of needing to consistently do that by blowing the top off of the defense or having some of these really big plays or creating really big opportunities underneath that, right? And so if you're going to consistently try and if you're going to consistently try and just kind of continue to move the chains and do this, you're going to run into games that are like this um, and you're going to run out of margin for error and you're not going to be ready to be able to do anything more, more than, than what you're getting. And so these are the games where hopefully this is the one game where you see this happen. You know, I, I think we saw this happen in the Buffalo game, like the Tennessee and Buffalo playoff games were perfect examples of that, where everything just kind of stalled out. And, and that was that. And, it was just all kind of done from there. So hopefully this was the game that that happened this year. They can put it behind him, put it behind them and kind of figure out what they need to to do to move it forward. Yeah. And, and this game was weird too, because I, I do think that the Ravens moved the ball decently well a number of times. I, I want to say they got inside the, the Titans, like 30 yard line, like six or seven times in this game. And then for whatever reason, there was like a, some, you know, mistake after mistake. It was a penalty, or it was a drop, or it was like, you know, a sack that shouldn't have happened. Like, and it just drove them out of scoring range multiple times. Like, they should have, I think, probably had at least one touchdown more, and probably two or three other field goals. That just like got wiped away from stupid reasons and like mental mistakes, like bad, like bad decisions that were happening. Like Lamar's, Lamar's uh, interception, like. That, like Oliver was running wide open on that play, and I don't know why he didn't go to it, but I don't know if it was like the wind that was gusting. I don't know, but like he decided not to take Oliver. He tried to take the under to, to Andrews, um, and just missed missed the seeing the defensive tackle. But the Ravens had actually driven the ball down the field. They were at like the thirty yard line. Like it was a pretty good drive. Then all of a sudden, that just like is gone. And like they had other drives that got canceled out for like a penalty, like that Prochet, um holding call holding that was like call, pretty phantom but whatever the phantom like face mask call on moses like you know maybe that's just you know bad luck but like sometimes i feel like the ravens are they make their own bad luck so it's it's a combination of things and like i think that this game probably could have been a lot better in terms of the like the final score than what it ended up being but there's still definitely some issues with the offense and, and you and it's not something that they're probably going to fix right away but do you think that there's some things that will improve it? You know, get, maybe Charlie Kolar is another option in, in the passing game. That's going to be interesting. We talked about Gus Edwards. I think he'll make a big difference just keeping them out of, like, the second and longs and the third and longs. So I, I do think there is room for improvement. I think there are ways that that can happen. Um, I think not having a true vertical threat in the offense is still something that's probably going to hold them back. So maybe Deshaun Jackson is that guy if he's healthy. I don't know if that's something that they're ever going to get, though. Devin Duvernay, <laughs> like, like to Marcus, Ro- like, like this idea that like they don't have a guy that can take the top off of like this offense just isn't like to me isn't true. Like James Roche is not going to be that guy. We can talk about. I'm a big James Roche fan, but like he's got to stop turning these running plays in when he's in the game into huge negatives and getting all these holes called on him. But you've got, you've got Duvernay and Robinson. Those guys could run vertical routes every single play. Like, like you could run them on like, like nines or deep outs on every single play and it would be fitting and teams would be forced to defend it. Hard stop. So like, yeah, Deshaun Jackson would be nice, but you've already got the guys in the game 
The Ravens, I, I don't know what the snap counts were like in this game, but I'd have to imagine that they didn't average more than two wide receivers on the field at a time um, during this game. And if it, if they did, it wasn't by more than that. So, And two of those guys likely would have been Duvernay and Robinson. So the, the verticality is is available to be there for the personnel that they already had. It, it frustrates me when people say, oh, well, they need a guy that can, that, that can do that. Um, yes, they miss Bateman because Bateman is a very good wide receiver, but like they still have the tools to be able to like, you don't have to run Duvernay and Marcus Robinson on drag routes on every play. You just don't. Yeah. I'd like to look at what Lamar's average depth of target is um, as the season's progressed, because I feel like it's, you know, gone down every single game um, because he earlier in the season and, you know, Bateman was probably that guy who was, he was mostly the, the, the best vertical threat in the offense before he got hurt um, and, and not having him is obviously, you know, a negative in the overall performance of the offense. But, um, you know, you, you, Demarcus Robinson, I tend to agree with you. He's someone who can be effective in, in that role. And he's, he's definitely shown that he's been a viable and important part of this offense. So I think getting him involved has been great. And I think he'll continue to be that, but you know, Devin Duvernay, I don't understand why he's just kind of like completely gone away. Um, he had one target in this game. He had one rush attempt. It's just someone who has been has been proven, I think, to be an effective playmaker. Like get him, get him the ball. Like get some design plays for him. It, it doesn't have to be deep shots, but I think he can. You know, he has the speed. He can get open deep. But it's just it doesn't make sense when you have someone who has that talent, who's been important part of this offense earlier on the season just to be completely forgotten about like i don't understand how that process happens in in their game planning like why is he not someone who who's more featured and he doesn't have to be like the number one option but get him like five six touches a game and i think you'll be rewarded for it so that's just a really weird thing that has been a trend and i don't understand why that's happening and the super bizarre part about all of this is that the Ravens, at least in the AFC, I believe, are like the like the you know fourth or fifth highest you know like scoring offense you know in terms of total points. They're not they're not far from kind of like that pack of like the leaders of like teams that are scoring you know on the regular. So like you get this really weird nexus right where you have games like this where they just look terrible or moments and stretches where they look terrible, but there's still a team that like on average is putting up a pretty a pretty healthy number of points overall and so it's just like how do you come to a solution like like looking at this as like not as a football team but as like a business that you're managing right like how do you assess that you know because you've got this at least on one hand of this performative evaluation where like you're looking like you have success and then on the other hand you have these droughts where you're like you know we need to be able to get this together um and it's like what what is your you know what are the meaningful solutions here because I think that, you know, my frustration, I think, is that we've seen the maximum extent of what we can get from Greg Roman. Like, you just, you know what you're going to get from a play call perspective. You know what you're going to get from an offensive approach perspective. Like, none of that is going to change. Do you just, you know, are you riding it out for the rest of this year? I mean, and like, Lord, help us if Greg Roman is the offensive coordinator next year. I will be frustrated <laughs> if that is still the case. Um, but like you go to a different play caller. I mean, like, do you, do you put it in the hands of guys that are like a little bit more willing to design pass plays and, and turn that over? Or do you just keep riding this out? Cause you've got a team that scored 248 points on the year so far. Yeah. I mean, like their offense hasn't been terrible. I mean, it, it's probably middle of the pack overall in most metrics, like yard yardage metrics. Um, 
they have been, I think, pr- probably pretty efficient. Like their third down conversion rate has been good. Um, they were 40% in this game. I think they were about that over the course of the season, which is generally pretty good. They haven't, they haven't um, been giving up the giving ball too much. They have one of the better turnover margins in the NFL. I think they're like number two behind Philadelphia. So, you know, a lot of like the metrics that they have um, offensively and defensively are in their favor. But it is kind of a week to week frustration as to why we're seeing them seemingly underperform on offense. Um, and, I mean, Roman, I agree. Like, I don't think he's adding much positive to this team right now. I, I think he's pretty um, conservative in his approach generally, um, and, and he's very stubborn about the personnel that he uses, for instance. So I think you could have a better team by going in a different direction. Um, I think you have more upside for sure doing that. And... and I don't know if that's going to happen. It could happen, I think, if you know the defense plays really well and the offense like is just this kind of performance for the next you know five to six games, and there's nothing that's happening. You know, we saw during the Super Bowl season, for instance, Cam Cameron got fired. I think with what four games left in the regular season, three games left. Um, so it's not like completely outside of what's happened historically for this team to have a change being made mid-season. Um, I, I don't know. I guess you turn to maybe um, Urban. Is, is that his name? The the quarterback coach, yeah, offensive James, guy, James, James Urban. Urban. Yep. Um, they also have a couple of you know offensive specialists. Um, maybe one of those, Keith Williams. Maybe I, I'm not sure who who the play caller would be. Um, but you know there are guys in in the building who I think you could potentially use in that role, but I, I would probably you know, wait and see over, over the next couple of games and see how the offense looks, but it definitely seems like it's trending in the wrong direction, and that's not, I think, where this team wants to be as, as you're going through a, a part of the season where you want to be getting everything going positively. So we'll see. I, I think you have to have a bad performance in order for that to happen. I don't know if this qualifies as, as that bad, but you know, statistically it wasn't a good game, obviously. Yeah, it'll, you know, there, it wouldn't be a total overhaul of an install of the offense anyway, right? Like, and even, even if it was just a different guy calling the plays instead of it being Roman, I just, you know, I would love to see some progress on, on that front overall. Maybe, you know, maybe Carolina just, you know, the weather, the right conditions, the right set of things make this game look and feel like it's bad. But the performance that, you know, you you can't have has like the first half that we saw from this team. I mean, it, it was it was brutal to watch and it was ugly. Um, and that's not a team, you know, there are going to be games like that, but that's not a team that's that's going to be really going deep or far into the playoffs. If that's the kind of if, if those are the kind of performances that you can turn out on, you know, any given week. So, you know, I think the the big two takeaways that you know we can wrap up on, you know, as they relate to this game though, are Ronnie Stanley and Kyle Hamilton. You know, I, we've seen Ronnie Stanley be play really, really well, and it, the thing about the Stanley injury that frustrated me the most was because, I mean, Morgan Moses blew that play because his head was still stuck on the face mask call that happened right before it, and let Burns come completely unblocked into Lamar Jackson. What like 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 you were saying, there were like some really just like, not even awkward, just some like like terrible sequences when the Ravens did get into scoring territory where things like that happened. But um, 
hopefully Ronnie Stanley can come back because he's been playing at a really high level um, and really does, you know, allow the Ravens to be able to potentially be a better passing team. And then Kyle Hamilton, like you were saying earlier, has really settled into his role. So you hope that these two guys are able to stay healthy. You know, both of them walked off like quite gingerly at that, but both of neither of them were carted off. So hopefully we're not looking at serious injuries for either of them and, you know, give them the J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards treatment. You know, let let them take whatever time they need to get recovered. It is a softer spot of the schedule. Um, you know, do what you need to do and let other guys fill in in the meantime and like get this team healthy and ready for kind of late December, early January. Yeah, I mean, that's the key, right? We, we've seen this team be very beat up at, at, the, at the end of the season in the past. Um, and I think if they can actually be trying in the other direction, that would definitely um, be a different type of circumstance than we're used to. So I would love to see, you know, them take a couple weeks and let these guys, you know, get fully healthy. I think, especially, I mean, I mean, Stanley and Hamilton for different reasons. I mean, obviously, obviously you know, Hamilton, you have probably more depth more at depth. that position. You can kind of figure things out. I think a little bit, you don't, necessarily have to have him back right away um with, with stanley you know you'd like to have him out there left tackle because he's been playing so well but with his history with that injury i think it was it was the same ankle that got rolled up on that he's hurt in the past so it's obviously it's probably a sensitive like part of his body and um he might have might have been kind of mental as well for him you know like having that like pain in an area where he's very had, had a lot of issues in the past so um, you know, there was, there was, you know, a conversation that we saw on Twitter after the game with, with Lamar saying that, you know, Stanley told him he was good. So I don't know if that means like it was just kind of like a, just like a, you know, like a little bit of like an ankle roll and not like a serious issue. Like they would have probably come out and said if he had a broken ankle again. So I'm hoping that he's someone who can be out maybe just a week, if even that long. I'm, I haven't seen anything about Kyle Hamilton, so he might be a little bit um, longer potentially, but. You know, as as Marcus Williams is closer to return, you know there might be, uh, there might not be a, as big of a, an issue either, and and hopefully he can come back and you know be continue to be that impactful player that that he's been over the past few weeks, especially. So, yeah, I mean obviously health is is always a big part of the NFL, and you know teams rise and fall because of of their health. Um, almost always the, the NFL Super Bowl winner is because of health, like they were healthy, and that's why they won. Like nine times out of 10, like you don't have a team that's injury riddled that wins it all. So that's something that, you know, the Ravens are going to continue to hopefully um, be on the right side of. And I think they have taken a more conservative role with their players this, this, this year after some of the injuries in the past and given them an extra week at times when needed. So I think that, you know, they're going to be smart about it and we'll, we'll see if, if you need to absorb one loss in the course of the regular season in order to be healthy when it comes to the playoffs, I think that's the right way to go. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I totally agree, and hopefully they continue to take that approach. And I, I mean, the Ravens still have reinforcements coming back. You know, whether you know whatever you think about this offensive performance, you and I both agree that Gus Edwards makes a big difference in this game. You know, Marcus Williams coming back is a huge boost to the secondary, even though the secondary has been playing, you know, really well on top of that. They've got depth at outside linebacker that they've got coming back. So, um, you know, you've got to feel relatively good about kind of where the Ravens are from from that injury position. And you look at the schedule, you know, looking at the schedule, though, I think that, you know, now that you mentioned it, if there's a moment where you ultimately see Greg Roman get let go. I think it could be 
right around the same time that Cam Cameron was let go because you've got a game against the Broncos and a game against the Steelers. And the Steelers seem to have Lamar and Roman's numbers to begin with. And the Broncos have just been incredibly stellar on defense overall um, on the year. And so you've got two games right there. And that, that's a game in at Pittsburgh as well. You've got two games there where you could really see the offense flounder um, and potentially misstep at some point and cost them a game. I, I think that the Broncos game at home is going to be is relatively safe, but I could see them going to Pittsburgh and losing that game um, on the backs of a really bad offensive performance. And then that's right around that same point and time that Cameron was let go. I think, I think, didn't the Ravens like lose a game to the Redskins right yep. around? Yep. And that was the, like, that was the impetus um, for Harbaugh making that decision. So there, there is some history there of them taking a look at that down the stretch and saying, okay, we've seen enough. We've got to, we've got to make some kind of different decision or change direction or something here. So it'll be interesting. I think that's probably the most interesting thing to keep an eye on <laughs> over the next three weeks. Otherwise, you know, the Ravens should, as we've talked about on defense and on offense, just continue to be able to do more than enough to beat these teams that just aren't that great um, that are coming up on the schedule. Yeah, I think yeah, they'll be favored probably in every game except for maybe the Week 17 game against that Cincinnati, uh, depending on, on how Cincinnati plays down the stretch. Um, it's possible that that's not a game that will even matter for the Ravens, depending on how things play out, and they might stress guys anyway. Um, you know, the, the Cleveland game might be interesting as well, um, given the, uh, the return of, of Deshaun Watson um, and how that team looks with him under center. Um, I mean, they're a team that's going in the wrong direction, but the Steelers and the Browns are both, I think, three and seven right now. So you have to think that their season is pretty much done. Um, but, you know, anytime you have a division game, it's, it's always going to be probably pretty tricky there these are prideful teams and and they don't want to look like a fool against you know divisional opponents so i wouldn't take any of those games for granted for sure yeah definitely so it'll be you know i i think i think the ravens are you know in a good position it'll be interesting to keep an eye on hopefully hopefully we continue to see the defense perform at a high level like this and we see the offense continue to take some strides and, and move some things forward. But, um, you know, all eyes are on January at this point. There's the Ravens have are well in well control of their own destiny. They win out. Um, they will be in the playoffs and they will win the AFC North um, hard stop. Um, and so that's the position that you want to be in as a team. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll continue to see some of that progress. So if you guys want to hear, you know, we're, are you know, read about what we're thinking about the Ravens, you know, definitely check us out on Twitter. Um, Gabe's at Gabe Fergie. I'm at Raven sit room. Um, we're constantly kind of talking Ravens and talking about, you know, different things that we're seeing, especially as we kind of get into the all 22 and some of those other things get released. So we'd love to see you over there. Um, and uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys next time in the situation room. Save big on your Memorial day barbecue all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.